Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. You're listening to Straight Note Chaser on Dogs by Nature. It is what it is. Uh, this one's on me, but here's the thing. We, yeah, this one's going to sting for, for a day or two, but we have the Steelers uh, to win and get in. Yes, I'm aware of what could have happened if we would have won today. It is what it is, so I'm going to have to roll with these punches. Uh, backs against the wall, and we have to win to get in. Now, here's your host, my dad, Thelonious7. My dogs by nature family, I hope this transmission finds you well. My name is Thelonious7, and you're listening to The Opposition's Position on Dogs by Nature Radio. It's Steelers Week, and this might be the most important game in a generation for us Cleveland Browns fans. We wanted to turn the page on that Jets game before getting into the opposition's position and hearing from the Mike Doctor. With that in mind, I reached out to Craig A. Fountain of the Browns Table for our final episode of Straight No Chaser for the year 2020. Hello, Dogs by Nature. I am Craig Fountain. I am the co-host of the Ginger's Talk Football Podcast and the host of the Browns Table. I'm a huge fan of Dogs by Nature and so grateful of Thelonious7 for having me on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Craig A. Fountain. Craig, thanks for taking the time again to share with us here on Dogs by Nature Radio. Looking forward to hearing from you on the Brown Showdown again later this week as well. Got a lot to get to, so without any further ado, let's get into it. Sunday's game against the Jets was very difficult to take in for a lot of reasons. When did you start to question the outcome? What would you say was the turning point in that game? This was in fact a very, very difficult game to take in. I was very disappointed at halftime, but trusted we would find some sort of rhythm in the second half. It was no surprise to me that Baker struggled to develop a rapport with his less than 24-hour-old receiving core, and he was clearly focusing on targeting more familiar pass catchers like Austin Hooper in the beginning of the game. I fully expected them to get more familiar with each other in the second half, but when the Jets went up 20-3, that was the moment I became nervous. Yeah, at 20-3, I knew the game was pretty much hopeless for us, and in a way, I was kind of shocked that they were able to make it competitive at the end. For me, though, the moment of truth was when Jamison Crowder came in at quarterback for the Jets and put the Browns' defense on a highlight reel, and I'm really hoping for the best from that side of the football. On offense, though, there was a lot of Baker hate at the end of this contest. How much do you think this result was put at his feet? Do you think he's going to be able to turn the page in next week's contest? The Baker hate is certainly something I wasn't surprised to hear. Browns fans love to hate. The emotion of this fan base is undeniably a perpetual and never-ending roller coaster. Someone needs to take the blame. Always. Always somebody needs to take the blame. And so often it's the quarterback first, the head coach second, and open season pretty much on everybody else third. We can't make excuses. That's not a winning mentality. But we should be more thoughtful about our criticism. This was an unfortunate situation out of Baker's control and out of Stefanski's control. The three fumbles, that's fair to criticize. I I completely understand the criticism there. But the passing game isn't. 
that's not fair to criticize. With four out of five receivers on our intended 53-man roster, a third-string guard and left tackle, a canceled walkthrough, a delayed flight, a parking garage walkthrough on game day morning, those are all to blame. Again, we can't make excuses, and I don't think Baker and Kevin Stefanski would want us to, but we should be able to empathize with the situation and direct our frustration elsewhere. It's in Baker's DNA to have these comeback games. I am not worried about the upcoming week. I think he's going to bounce back and bounce back in a huge way. That's his personality, and it's, it's, it's in his DNA, and we've seen it time and time again. Rarely does he have two bad games in a row. We're talking with Craig A. Fountain, the host of the Browns table. Bro, I don't know if I'm watching the same game as some of these fans. I feel like they don't have a sense of context. I thought that Baker played well given what he faced. I love the fact that he doesn't make excuses, but I personally put zero blame on Baker. In fact, Baker is the sole reason why this game wasn't 23 to nothing. Chubb and Hunt weren't going to save the team yesterday. But to me, and I think it gets lost, but to me, this game shows so much growth for Baker Mayfield. In 2019, Baker would have pressed even harder in this spot, and he would have thrown multiple picks, which would have put the game even more out of reach. And I know that the fumbles were an example of him also trying to do too much, but I come out of this game feeling even more confident about the value he brings to this team. So the Browns have used the mantra, embrace the suck, and Coach Stefanski made no excuses about this road loss. How do you think Stefanski is handling this latest challenge? Is it fair to second guess any of his decisions? I think that Stefanski overall handled the loss well, especially after the game. His message was on point, his expectations were clear, and his level head approach is a necessary one. I'm a bit surprised we weren't more run heavy at the beginning of the game. And I know we have a replacement right guard and we have a replacement left tackle, but he went through the air a bit much in the first half. He tends to call passing plays on first down and he went all in throwing on early downs. Maybe the expectation was that the Jets assumed he would be running the ball and that they, we would break tendency, essentially. That wouldn't surprise me if that was Stefanski's logic. However, with the wide receiver situation, we should have leaned more on the run game, in my opinion, especially early on. I'm also wrestling a little bit with the Jamie Gillen field goal attempt, two-point conversion opportunities, and 12 personnel in the two-minute offense at the end of the game. Overall, Stefanski really was dealt a poor hand, and he played it pretty well considering the circumstances. Certainly not his best game from a coaching perspective, but if we were grading him, it's a solid C-plus grade from me. Craig, these are really great points. You know, following your poker metaphor, I love watching Coach Stefanski's poker face. I mean, he's masked up on the sideline, but he looks resolute and righteous, really. But more than anything, that guy looks calm and unflappable. And it's really hard as a fan to get a read on what's going on behind the veneer. But in situations like the one you saw on Sunday against the Jets, you can see what this coach is really all about. And I will say, that for me, this is the first time he seemed like he was caught flat-footed. And in this game, you really see what it looks like behind the veneer. You see, you get it. And I'll say this. I'll say that it shows how much value Coach has in the way he prepares for an opponent. I'll tell you, at this point, he's not really the guy yet to roll with the punches. He's a solve and execute guy. And those kind of guys, the more kind of adversity you give them, the more problem juries present them, it just makes them better for the next time he gets to them. And I, again, I feel oddly confident about the way he's going to perform in this game 
coming up on Sunday. The defense is a different story. The defense is getting healthy, although they're still missing some key pieces. Do you think that that side of the ball will be able to hold its side of the bargain moving forward? How would you grade Joe Wood's performance overall? The defense is certainly getting healthier, and if there's a time for it to come together, the time is now. We can only imagine what it would be like if Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit were out there, but that'll have to wait until next year. In this game, we really miss B.J. Goodson and Jacob Phillips, and when Taki Taki got injured, that hurt as well. I'm a bit nervous with how Joe Woods called the end of the game on defense. He was dealt a poor hand as well in this game, and for the better part of the season, but that's a whole separate episode. This game didn't go well when it mattered the most, and in my opinion, this was one of the worst defensive games all season long. Just like Baker, though, we have been able to bounce back all year long, and assuming we get Taki Taki, Goodson, and Phyllis back, I think we will play the Steelers well, even if they play their starters. This Sunday is going to be a huge test for Joe Woods and his defense. So have you gotten a chance to look at all of the Week 17 permutations? We control our destiny, but apparently that destiny goes through the AFC North champions from Northeast West Virginia. What do you think our chances are from here? How profitable do you suppose alcohol sales will be in Northeast Ohio? In Week 17, we certainly do control our own destiny. The Pittsburgh game is a must-win game. I do not expect any scenarios to go our way if we do not win and get in on our own accord. If we do not beat Pittsburgh, I don't expect there to be any chance at all we get in. There's too much that has to happen, and most of it are just most of them are just very unlikely scenarios. Let's just start with the Jaguars beating the Colts. You know, that's that's the sort of game that we need to go our way that just doesn't feel like it's going to happen. So I I can't say it enough. This is a must-win game. We beat the Steelers. We are in. I I do not want to count on anybody else this week. It's just not going to go our way if we lose to the Steelers. Alcohol sales, though, they're going to win no matter what. In Ohio, the alcohol sales are going to be through the roof, whether we're winning and celebrating and popping the champagne, or if we have to drown in our sorrows, finding the bottom of the bottle. Either way, the liquor sales, they'll win. But we need to beat the Steelers to get in the playoffs. I do not think we have any chance if we don't. A do-or-die game with the Pittsburgh Steelers for a playoff berth has got me drinking right now. So with that, we should probably put this one in the books. Our guest today was Craig A. Fountain of the Browns Table. Craig, before you go, do you have any parting thoughts for us? Thanks again to Thelonious7 and Dogs by Nature for allowing me to be on the show. I'm a huge fan of Dogs by Nature. I love the Dogs by Nature community. I appreciate you guys listening. Again, my name is Craig Fountain. You can find me on Twitter at Craig A. Fountain. I'm the co-host of the Gingers Talk Football podcast covering the NFL and the Browns table. Thanks for listening. I appreciate the invite. I'm so grateful. Go Browns. Let's beat the Steelers. Craig, it's great to hear from you and looking forward to hearing from you as well on the Browns showdown later this week. Well, that was your dose of the straight truth. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser. I'm your host, Thelonious7. Take care and go Browns.
I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.